Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. When I was a little kid growing up, um, we used to, at bedtime, recite this little prayer. And uh, we did it, you know, every night with our parents. And we taught our kids, and we prayed that prayer. And, and it's like anything else when, you've, when you just kind of recite things, you kind of not think about what you're saying. Um, and some of you, maybe, maybe you learned this little prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. Pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake. You know, it wasn't until I became a grandparent that it suddenly dawned on me. That is probably not the kind of image you want to send your kids to bed with. <laughs> you know, I just like, if I should die. So now we pray with our granddaughter. We skip that verse, okay? <laughs> um, but it, the truth is that, that we all will die someday. And we don't know when that day is. And there's one thing that seems to have been a question um, and, and, and through all cultures and all generations, through all, all human history, is what happens when I die? Because we all know that the mortality rate is 100%. <laughs> and all, eventually all of us are going to experience that. What happens after that? And, and people have had questions about that for, for centuries. They had it back in Jesus' day. There was a group of people that came to Jesus um, and, and asked some questions about that. We're going to look at that this morning. Uh, and, in fact, more recently, um, there's been a number of books. I don't know if you've noticed, there's been a number of books written lately about people who have had death or near-death experiences and have written books about them. Uh, I think one of the most popular ones that's been going around lately is called um, Heaven is for Real. And it's about a little four-year-old kid who actually died um, or near died, um, and, and actually went to heaven, and the books have been written. His dad was a pastor, and years later now he has written a book about this, but, but that his son came back and spoke of things that he didn't know. He spoke of, of a sister that he had that actually had, been di- had died in childbirth um, and didn't even know anything about and talked about this sister that he knew and his grandfather who he had never met who had died long before he did, and it was just kind of fascinating kind of stuff. And um, other books have been written recently, one by, by a doctor called to, um, to Heaven and Back, um, who died in a kayak accident and then talks about her experience. We have this fascination. We, we, we have questions about it. We don't know what it's like, but we have this sense that there's got to be something more to life. And so we have these questions, and there's some people that are skeptical about it, just like there were in Jesus' day. In fact, the passage we're going to look at this morning is a group of people called the Sadducees. And if you want to um, turn in your Bibles, if you brought one or use the app, um, Luke chapter 20, Luke records this, this account, verse 27. Some Sadducees who say there's no resurrection came to Jesus with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, then the man must marry the widow His brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers. The first one married a woman and died childless. Childless. The second and then the third married her. And in the same way, the seven died, leaving no children. Finally, the woman died too. Now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be? Since there were seven who were married to her. Jesus replied, The people of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy of taking part in the age to come and in the resurrection from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage, for they can no longer die, for they are like angels. They are God's children. 
since they are children of the resurrection. But in the account of the burning of the bush, even Moses showed that the dead rise. For he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He's not God of the dead, but of the living. For to him all are alive. And some of the teachers of the law responded, Well said, teacher. And no one dared ask him any more questions. That's kind of an interesting little deal there. And you kind of maybe read that and you go, What in the world was that all about? And certainly, what was Jesus' answer all about? It doesn't quite make sense. So we're going to kind of unpack it a little bit this morning because Jesus answered their question, but not in a way that they expected. And and even the question seems a little odd. And and he just certainly doesn't tell us everything about the afterlife in this little passage. He was responding to a very specific question. But there are some things here that I think we can take away and understand a little bit about the life to come. And one of the things that Jesus makes very, very clear through all of this is you were created for more than this life. You were created for more than this life. In fact, book of Ecclesiastes says that God has planted eternity in the human heart, but even so people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. He says there is a longing in the human spirit for something more. And it's been placed there by God. And we don't understand it. And we certainly can't fathom what God has been doing all through all of this. But God has done something to plant deep within each and every one of us this longing for eternity. And that's why we have these questions. That's why, that's why we wonder, what's it like? And, and we're fascinated by stories that people tell about near death or death experiences and having been to heaven and come back. And, and it's all very fascinating to us. And we wonder, what does it mean? The whole reason you have those questions is because God has planted that in your heart. And Jesus affirms that. He says, there is something in the human spirit that longs for more. Something in the human spirit longs for more. There is a longing there that we have. And that's the source of these guys' question. They come to him and they're asking the question because they want to know. What is this all about? Now, Sometimes we embrace it. A lot of times we just get so busy, we try not to think about it. We try to ignore it. Um, We kind of try to pretend it's not going to happen, and we just kind of go on with life. Eugene Peterson tells the story of going and spending a week at a monastery. And uh, and he noticed on his way to the rectory uh, for evening meal um, that on, on the way to the rectory, they actually passed by the graveyard. So three meals a day, every day they would pass by the graveyard. And the thing that he noticed was, as he went by the graveyard the very first time, that there was a freshly dug grave there. And he looked at it, and he turned to one of the the friars there, and he said to him, "Um, who in your community has died? He said, oh, no one. That's for the next one. (laughs) But the idea was that every day, three times a day, they would pass this graveyard. And remember, this life is temporary. You're not here forever. There's something more. And that daily reminder was kind of what they needed to give some meaning to their lives. Now, many in our culture would try to deny that. We don't think of them. In fact, our culture doesn't give a whole lot of deep thought to the afterlife. We don't. And in fact, in many circles, um, a lot of people just say, well, there isn't one. This is all that there is. We are nothing more than a blob of tissue, uh, a, a, a group of chromosomes and genes that have come together for a little bit of a while, and, and then when we die, it all goes back to seed. In fact, I remember um, Disney's uh, The Lion King. 
Anybody ever see that movie? There was a real popular song in that. Do you remember the, the cycle of life, the circle of life? Yeah. And in essence, that movie was about, and kind of the song is kind of about, this whole idea is that lions prey on antelopes and kill the antelope for food. But someday the lion will die and become fertilizer for the grass that the next generation of antelopes will eat. Will, so that the next generation of lions can kill the antelopes so they will become fertilizer. You know, and that's the circle of life. You're here for a while. You become compost. But somebody else benefits from it. Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. You are more than compost. <laughs> you are more than fertilizer. And that's why Jesus, I think, took so much time for every individual he encountered. He treated every person as if they were someone of eternal value and eternal worth because in his eyes they were. The people that nobody else had time for, the outcasts that nobody else would pay any attention to, Jesus did. Why did he do that? Because he saw them as eternal beings. He knew you're created for something more. That's why people mattered to him. And even those who opposed him mattered to him. It's why so often he was engaged in these conversations with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It's why he's having this conversation with these guys right here. Because even the people that opposed him, even those who were antagonistic to his message, he still made time for them because he saw in them eternal value. His two greatest opponents were a group called the Pharisees and then another group called the Sadducees. Now, they were very, very different. The Pharisees were, were the lay movement. They weren't priests. They weren't officials in the temple. But they were people who believed in, in purity of walk. And they were kind of like the spiritual police, making sure everybody else did too. And that's a lot of the run-ins that they had with Jesus was because Jesus talked about the Sabbath and talked about the law in a different way than they had thought it. And that's why, but Jesus still took time to converse with them. The Sadducees was a different group of people. They were the aristocracy. Many of them were priests. They were, they were of the priestly line, and they worked in the temple. Now, the, one of the big differences between um, the Pharisees and the Sadducees is the Pharisees were lay movement. Sadducees were priests. Pharisees were, were purists. Um, the Sadducees were aristocracy. aristocracy. Um, the Pharisees um, didn't, did believe in the resurrection. They believed in the resurrection. The Sadducees did not. In fact, that's what happened. Some of the Sadducees, and Luke kind of points this out, who say there is no resurrection, came to Jesus with a question. See, it's interesting. These guys who don't believe in the resurrection come to Jesus with this question. Now, this is one of the ways that you can remember this, okay? The Pharisees believed in the resurrection. The Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. And that's why they were sad, you see. See? <laughs> Uh, but you will remember. You will remember. As bad as that was, you will remember. That's how I remember. Somebody told me that years and years, years ago. They didn't believe in the resurrection. So when they come to Jesus, they're the skeptics. They're the ones who don't believe that there's a life after this one. And, and so their question is kind of a little bit um, jaded in all of this. But Jesus still answers them. And when he answers them, notice he answers them on their terms. One of the other things about the Sadducees is they were strictly adherents to the Torah. The first five books of what is our Old Testament. The, the books of Moses. And, and they didn't really give much scriptural um, relevance to the prophets. Or, or any other books that were part of the Old Testament. 
Um, the Pharisees did, but not Sadducees. They were strictly Torah guys, okay? So when Jesus answers them, it's interesting that he uses their language. When he gives them their answer, one of the things he says, even Moses showed that the dead rise, for he calls the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, because he's the God of the, not of the dead, but of the living. He speaks to them in their own language. If they had read one of the prophets, if Jesus had quoted one of the prophets, they wouldn't have bought it. But he speaks to them in the language that they understand. And what he's doing is he's affirming. Even Moses understood there was a resurrection. You guys may not believe it, but if you go all the way back to Moses, he affirmed it. Because you and I were made for more than just this life. And even further, Jesus has gone, he says, now, not only were you made for more than this life, but that the life to come is far more real than the life you live here and now. Now, we don't think of it in those terms, and I think many of them did not either. When we think of heaven, we think of clouds, we think of, of halos, we think of uh, wings. People don't walk, they just kind of float and fly. It's kind of a very ethereal thing, and, and that's kind of the mentality. People play harps. Why would I ever want to learn to play a harp? I got to sit forever in eternity listening to people playing harps? Give me a break. But that's what we picture. So, so heaven's not appealing to us. Gary Larson, right, uh, the Far Side cartoon, had a lot of really good cartoons about this, but kind of conveyed that idea. Here's, here's one of his cartoons. There's a guy sitting on a cloud, and he's thinking to himself, I wish I brought a magazine. Because it's like, what am I going to do for eternity? That just sounds so boring. But one of the things Jesus does is in his answer, he says, listen, all of that thinking that you have, this ethereal cloud floating kind of idea, no, 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 no. Eternity is far more real than that. In fact, even in their question, their, 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 their question is kind of pointed. It's really not a serious question if you think about it. It's the kind of question that you would, you would ask to prove your own point. And that's really what they're doing. They're trying to prove how foolish it is to believe in the eternity. It, it's kind of like the questions when people say, how many angels can dance on the head of a pen? Who cares? <laughs> It's a stupid question. Or one person said, so if God is all-powerful, can God create a rock that he cannot pick up himself? That's just a stupid question. Okay? This is one of those stupid kind of questions. They're not really asking because they want to know. They're asking because they're trying to make a point. Okay, Jesus, okay, Jesus, here's, here's one for you. There was a guy who had six other brothers. And he married this lady, but he died before they had kids. Now Moses said that it's the next brothers in line. It's his job to fulfill that marital duty. So, so he did. So he married her, and they didn't have kids, and he died. And then his third brother, and then the fourth brother, and the fifth, sixth, seventh, they all did this. All of them died. None of them gave her children. And now she dies and goes into the afterlife. Whose wife is she? That's a stupid question. It really is. It's a ridiculous question. It's ridiculous in the extreme. And they're not asking because they really want to know. They're asking because they're trying to prove how, how foolish it is to believe in the afterlife. Because how do you solve those kinds of problems? What's interesting, again, is Jesus takes them seriously. As ridiculous as their question is, he answers it. But not in a way they expect. He didn't say, well... I guess it would be the first, but well, no, maybe not the first. He doesn't even go into that. 
In fact, what he does is he, re he really addresses how ridiculous their question is. His answer is this. The people of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy of taking part in the age to come and in the resurrection from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage. Now, he's not saying you're not going to know your wife or husband. What he's saying is you're not even asking the right question. You're asking questions about what you think in this life. You think about this institution, this human institution of marriage. You, you think about it in the way that we think about life on this earth. But what you've got to understand is life in the wor world to come is so different than that. The questions about marriage just don't make any sense. In fact, what he's saying is, really, is the relationships that you will have in the life after this one will be so fulfilling, will be so incredible, will be so intimate, will be so different without all of the pride, without all of the selfishness, with all of the other stuff that gets in the way of human relationships here and now. When all that junk is done away with, we will experience relationships in such a way that you cannot possibly fathom it. That's what he's saying. Now, if you're thinking, but I love my wife... I love my husband. I can't think of an eternity not being with them. You will be with them. But it will be so different than you can possibly picture now. Think of the best day you have ever had in the best marriage you have ever had in the best life that you ever have. Think of that moment without any of the other junk that gets in the way and you have a little bit of an idea of what it's going to look like in heaven. That's what he's saying He's not denying the importance of marriage. He's saying it is just so beyond your thinking that your question doesn't even really make any sense. I mean, think about it. Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength to get this relationship right. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. The kingdom of heaven is all about relationship. It is all about a restored relationship with God, a new community with other people. It is so different than what you think of in terms of human relationships here on this earth that you can't possibly fathom it. That's what he's saying. It is so more real that you, you have no idea. I can't even explain it to you. See, that's at the heart of his answer. Randy Alcorn puts it this way. Jesus said the institution of human marriage would end, having fulfilled its purpose, but he never hinted that deep relationships between married couples would ever end. What he is saying is that what we have now is but a shadow by comparison. Because what God is doing, and in fact what is the story of all human history, all of Scripture really is about God's restoration process. From Genesis to Revelation, it is the story of God who created something perfect that has been marred and torn up and broken by sin. And, and all we know on this life is everything that is tainted with sin's stain. And God, all through human history, has been in the process of taking all of that brokenness and putting it back together. And that's why when you get to the very end in the book of Revelation, the last chapter in the book of Revelation, John has this vision. He says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. And he who was seated on the throne, meaning God, said, I am making everything 
new. Think of the best that you can think of on this earth and you will have a bit of a picture of something you can't possibly imagine. Because God is in the process of making all things new. Without the junk of our lives that causes brokenness and hurting and failure and struggle and division and wars. He's making everything new. Everything new. And you cannot possibly imagine how real that is. But it's real. That you were designed and created for eternity. And the eternity that God has prepared for you is far more real than you can possibly imagine. So then, so then, live your life now in light of eternity. Knowing that God is in the process of making all things new. Knowing that God is in the process of restoring all relationships. Knowing that God is in the process of fulfilling what He originally intended for you. Then live this life now in light of that reality. If God is in the process of restoring all human relationships, then my life on this earth ought to be a part of that. See, Jesus didn't teach us to pray, God, beam me up. He taught us to pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, we are taught to pray, Lord, bring a little bit of up there down here. Let me be a part of your restoring, redeeming, regenerating work on this earth. See, so many people think that that eternal life is something that happens after I die. That eternal life, that that my life here on this earth is just to make sure I've got the entry pass. To make sure I got my ticket. Then to kind of tread water and make it last until I finally die. And then I know I'm going to get in. And Jesus never taught that. But that's the mentality we have. That eternal life is something later. Jesus always taught, no, no, the kingdom will come. In fact, that's what he said. The kingdom doesn't come in such a way as to be seen. No one will be able to say, look, here it is or there it is. Because the kingdom of God is within you. His kingdom come in you. Karen Maines tells a story. I'm teaching Sunday school, and she was trying to get across to her Sunday school students um, how, how it's not by works. It's not what we have done. It's what God has done for us, and it's all about grace. And so she had taught this in the class, and so she said at the end of the class, she was asking the kids, she said, so, so let me ask you now, if I was a really, really good person, and, and, and I've treated children and, and animals kindly. If I did a really good job being nice to people on this earth, would that get me into heaven? And the class all said, no. He said, well, what if I, if I sold everything that I have and I gave it all that I had to poor people? Would that get me into heaven? And they all said, no. He said, what do I need to get into heaven? And one little boy raised his hand. He says, you got to be dead. which is not the answer she was looking for. (laughs) But that's our mentality. You got to be dead. No, no, no. Eternal life starts here and now. In fact, Jesus, one of his last prayers with the Father, listen to his words. He said, now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. 
Not that we would know about God, but that we would be in a relationship with Him, that we would know God through what Christ has done. That's eternal life, and that starts here and now. This conversation happens in the last week of Jesus' life and ministry on this earth. Within the week, talk about the resurrection will not be a theological debate. It will be a reality. Because within the week, Jesus will be arrested on trumped-up charges. He will have a mockery of a trial, be condemned to death, and he will hang on a cross so that you and I could be forgiven. That he absorbed all of the pain, all of the suffering, all that sin and death and hell could lash out. And then he rose again. He took it all on himself so that we could know that the price has been paid. And he rose from the dead so we could know that the resurrection is not an idle thought. It is not a theological debate. It is a living reality. And he is the first of many. And you and I don't have to worry about that because of his grace extended to us. And you and I can know beyond a shadow of doubt because it doesn't depend on you or I. It's what he did. And the resurrection and the life to come is a reality. And it's not, you got to wait till you die. It can start here and now. To bow your heads with me. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.